It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. Welcome, everybody. Exciting first day of the new podcast. Joining me today is my friend, Republican strategist and co-founder of South and Hill Strategies, Colin Reed. Colin has way extensive political history, and we won't have to get into all of it, but he has worked with Republican campaigns, local and national elections. He was also the executive director of America Rising PAC during the 2016 presidential election cycle, and in 2012, he was comms director for Ambassador Scott Brown's shocking Senate victory in Massachusetts. And anytime I have any questions about Massachusetts or Senator Elizabeth Warren, I know exactly who to go to. Colin's expertise really speaks for itself. You're going to hear from him. And the idea of this podcast is that I'm calling my friends anyway so I can find out what I need to know about what's going on on politics. And now you get to listen in as well. Welcome, Colin Reed. It is such a treat to be here, Dana, especially for the kickoff episode. Okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. I have, I have three segments. So the first one, I want to just give people an overview. And maybe let me just start with this, Colin. How many people in America do you think are paying as much attention to politics as we are? Probably pretty few. Not as many as us. No, I think that's a fair assessment. And I don't think uh, as many people are cruising through the news headlines or social media or the latest polls the way we are. And But hopefully we can have a conversation that speaks to some of those people as well. Exactly. So that's what I'm hoping, that if you just want a quick hit of politics or if you really want to dig deep, maybe you, there's a little bit of something in here for everybody. Well, okay, we are two days away from the first Republican primary debate of the 2024 cycle. That debate is hosted by Fox News. The moderators will be Brett Baer and Martha McCallum. And Bill Hemmer and I will do a preview show at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And that's pretty exciting. Right now on the stage, we are going to have, well, we had a new one that just got added, Colin. So we have Donald Trump has said he's not coming to the debate. And he also said not just this debate. He's posted on Truth Social. He's not coming to any Republican debate. You'll have Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, Nikki Haley, who was the governor of South Carolina and the U.N. ambassador for under President Trump, Mike Pence former vice president, and Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey, someone who you know well, and we can talk about that. Vivek Ramaswamy is an entrepreneur. Governor Doug Burgum, he is from North Dakota. And Asa Hutchison has qualified for the debate. He's the former governor of Arkansas. Have I covered them all? I think you got them. But like you say, the field is constantly shifting, and I know there's still, I think there's still time for the candidates to meet those thresholds, but I think that was a pretty pretty accurate Yes, Suarez and Hurd are the other two, the mayor of Miami and the former congressman from Texas. I don't know if they will qualify. In order to qualify, Colin, maybe tell people a little bit about that, that the RNC's requirements for these people in order to get on the stage. Yeah, I think the RNC was thinking back. First of all, it was a tough spot for them because everyone who watched or observed or was part of the 2016 debate when there were 16, 17 candidates and having to do multiple iterations and got known as the kiddie table and the main events, I think everyone was 
fairly interested in avoiding that situation again because it became fairly untenable. So the RNC put in place certain thresholds the candidates need to meet both in polling and uh, donations. And, um, you know, uh, it was, again, not no one, no one is going to be entirely happy about what those requirements were. And then, of course, the third and final component of the uh, of the of the requirement was a you had to agree to support the eventual nominee, um, whoever that may be, and that was the one that caused the most heartburn, given the way other candidates in this race have approached that. Um, right. Just talk about that for a second. So the pledge is basically, I promise that whoever wins out of this Republican contest, I will pledge to support them. One of the things that Chris Christie said was that I will take this as seriously as President Trump took it back in 2016. And which wasn't all that seriously. And now we have President Trump not coming at all. And maybe one of the reasons was he was never going to sign this pledge. Yeah, maybe that's it. Or maybe well, I mean, there's a lot. Maybe there's a lot of reasons, perhaps. <laughs> right. Or he's concluded that he's ahead by so much that he doesn't need to show up. Uh, but honestly, these debates, first of all, and the debates writ large, they're the first opportunity to really shuffle the deck, to really hit the reset button. Uh, for, for, for voters and, and people who have frankly been paying attention to a lot of other things besides politics the last three or four months. They've been at the beach. They've been on vacation. They're getting ready to go back to school. Labor Day is a couple weeks away. So so this this debate is is, is the, the first major inflection point. And these candidates who have been out there grinding away on the campaign trail all summer, now they can ideally take their messages and take the things they've heard from voters and translate them into that viral moment. And uh, it's it's just one of the very few moments in this long, drawn-out process where a candidate has the opportunity to come along and totally upend the apple cart if they do it right. And if and conversely, if they fall flat in their face, it can be it can be fatal. And we can talk about that through through various elections of, of we've the days seen of that. War. The other thing that happened today, and we're talking Monday, August twenty-first, two days before the first Republican primary debate, is the Iowa Des Moines Register in conjunction with NBC News, put out their morning poll showing where they have the candidates right now. And let me just give you a couple of numbers. President Trump is at 42% amongst likely Republican caucus goers in Iowa, 42%. Ron DeSantis next at 19%. And below that, you have Tim Scott at 9% and the rest in the lower single digits. How would you describe President Trump's lead right now, commanding and enduring well, he's got a lead, but there's also 52% who said their minds aren't made up and could be persuaded to support other candidates. And 42% is the top of the pack, but there's also, that's a, not a majority, it's a plurality. And that essentially, the, another way to look at that is there's 58% who want somebody else. And that somebody else is the big question mark. And look, I, I think it's a mistake for, for President Trump to skip the debates for a number of reasons, but one it, it's, it was so much part of his ethos in 2016. So many of the moments he had that people have come to look look back on in time have been moments in those debates where he really broke out and, and, and stole the show. And for him to just uh, sit, sit in the sidelines, it, it sends a message that one, he's either afraid of the debates or two, he, he's, he thinks he's got a lead and is just going to sit there and run out the clock. Uh, prevent defenses don't generally work well in politics. It sends a message to voters that they think this thing's a coronation and it's sewn up. It's really rare in, in history for a front runner to go table to table uh, atop the pack. And you look back in 2008, uh, you know, Rudy Giuliani, 2012, there was Rick Perry, there was Herman Cain, there were all these candidates jostling for that top position. Or 2015 and 16, Jeb Bush started on top, and we, we know how that ended. So it's, it's very rare for a candidate to just cruise 
And sitting on the sidelines kind of sends a message to the to voters that you don't think you have to go out there and earn the vote, and that, that's a that's a that's a dangerous uh, uh, a ship to set sail on. The other thing I noticed this weekend is that there was some headlines saying that President Trump's team is turning to the general election already. So they're in their minds, and I can understand this, right? They're saying we're so far ahead, we've got this thing pretty much locked up. We're going to go ahead and just start targeting Biden and moving to a general election posture. But with that comes the general election populace, right? And last week there was a poll from the AP that said 64% of voters across America said Trump is a no-go for them. And a lot of those voters or independents or even the persuadables are likely to be watching the debate. And he said he's not going to go to any of the Republican primary debates, but is he missing out on an audience there? Well, I think it's wise for him to try and refocus the conversation on President Biden because right now he's totally absent from the conversation. And that's a mistake. I mean, his polling numbers are dreadful. Biden's, you mean? Biden's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry, Biden's. He's got an approval rating of 42%, even less on the issue of the economy. Only 36% of people approve uh, of his handling of it. And it seems to me the Democrats' only strategy right now is just to hope that Biden doesn't fall flat in his face, can somehow withstand the rigors of a national campaign without the crutch of COVID and hope that the entire discussion is about Donald Trump and his legal issues or, or, or uh, the everything that we've been talking about or that's been dominating the national landscape right now. So for any candidate, whether it's President Trump or, or any of the Republican candidates to, uh, to re- reframe this as a referendum on the Biden presidency is a is a wise, wise political move. Can you tell me about the fact that so President Trump won't be at the debate, but he'll be at the debate, right? So it is one of the things that you've seen is that these candidates have had a very difficult time getting any attention. Or if they do go on air, let's say they get an earned media hit and they're coming on Fox or elsewhere and they're doing an interview and they would love to talk about their policy for immigration or energy or the economy, but they get dragged into talking about President Trump. Is there any way to break out of that? Well, the media likes uh, talking about Donald Trump. He knows, he lived, he's been at the epicenter, he's been in New York City, he's been at the epicenter of the world's largest uh, media cycle for the, his whole life, and he knows how to, to, to play them, and he knows how to operate within them. And, uh, you know, I do think that's one of the things that these Republican candidates are going to have to figure out how to operate within, is it's not tenable to have this just entirely antagonistic uh, relationship with the mainstream media throughout the course of a campaign. And look, I, you know, I've, I've been in campaigns. It's, it's very easy for Republicans or conservatives to air their uh, grievances with the mainstream media publicly. I've done it myself. It feels good in, in the moment, but it's not a tenable long-term strategy because these news narratives just pile up and they get worse and worse. And I think that's one of the challenges Governor DeSantis has right now is there's just this unending torrent of just negative news around him. Uh, partly because of his own doing, and it took him three times to do a campaign reset, uh, it, but but partly because the the, the mainstream media is, is willing to throw him so little breaks because uh, he doesn't engage with them. His team doesn't seem to to to, to talk to them or, or or have it out with them, and 
Um, so it, it, it earned media matters so much. It's one of those things that we talk about a lot. And some people are like, what is that? It just means the, the press that doesn't come from uh, the television ads or the, the actual paid advertising. It's, it's what you get from going out and campaigning in these early states, especially. And uh, it, it, it matters long term because it builds on itself. And that's when you can have a moment that goes viral. All right, Colin, that is what we know. Let's end that segment here and we'll be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. And we're back with Perino on politics. Now for what's missing from the conversation. And this is a question that I always like to ask my friends is, what am I missing? Because even though I read a lot, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I try to pay a lot of attention on social media to all the things that are going on. I'm always afraid that I'm missing something or some good point or hadn't thought about something. So that's why I call people like Colin Reed and ask them, what do you think I'm missing or I could be missing? And what is on your mind, Colin? So I I think a couple of things. One is just the lack of serious conversation about the succession plan, if you will, in both political parties. I mean, the majority of Democrats don't want Biden to run again, and yet there's no real serious debate over who is going to take his place. And he's so absent from the conversation that it it just defies expectations in reality to think that he is in the midst of a presidential campaign. It took him a week to get off the beach to go visit Hawaii, which is in the midst of its the greatest natural disaster. Uh, and he just seems not up for, not interested in competing for the job he's seeking. And yet from there, the bench just drops off so quickly. And we talk about Gavin Newsom or we talk about some of these other blue state governors, but it's really hard to just stand up a national political operation on a dime. And the longer this Biden campaign stays the way it is, the less time any of these other candidates are have to get a, get off the, the mat and do what they need to do to run for president. It's not easy. You can't just flip a switch and do it. Can you talk about that poll that you and I both saw last week and said, wait, what is happening? Because it was about over 60 percent of women polled said that they don't believe Biden's going to be the nominee. Right. And where do, where the- are they getting that? Uh, Yeah, it was 57% of, I have it in front of me, 57% of women voted for Biden in 2020, and now 62% of women say he's not going to be reelected. So there's a, that's a, that, 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 that's, that's pretty striking. And, you know, it, it, Joe Biden has done so little campaigning and there was so much made in 2020 about the basement strategy. And I I know he's trying to do this, this Rose Garden strategy right now and just have the entire election be a referendum on the noise on the other side. But at some point, at somewhere, someone is he's going to have to face tough questions, engage like a presidential candidate or or, or else it's just it's not untenable to think he's just going to be handed uh, another four year term. And what about the Kamala Harris factor in all of this? I see there's yet another article today in the mainstream media in Beltway Publications saying that uh, she's having a hard time getting traction and that if people (laughs) could just listen to her, they would realize how great she is. But her numbers are worse than Biden's. 
Yeah, I mean, we talk about the campaign resets with Governor DeSantis's campaign. I mean, Vice President Harris may have had even more of those. And uh, you and I have both kind of marveled at the amount of times we're going to fire the staff and we're going to start anew. There was a June poll, I think it was from NBC. She had a 32% approval rating, and it was the lowest for any vice president in the poll's history. Uh, even, you know, Donald Trump, for all this, all he's going through right now, his numbers are still above 40%. And it, 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 it remains likely that if President Biden is reelected, at some point Kamala Harris is going to enter this discussion as, as either as, as, as a, a potential presidential candidate. And yet the, the amount of scrutiny over her performance and what she's done, uh, it's, it's again, it's just it's just completely missing uh, from this conversation. What about the game of expectations going into this debate? How would candidates get ready for that? Yeah, rule 101 of politics is under promise and over deliver. And I think this is what goes back to one of President Trump's uh, greatest challenges right now is people are seemingly uh, believe he's on this just glide path to the nomination. And yeah, the the, the debate is one thing and if he doesn't show up, then uh, the expectations fall to Governor DeSantis, who's the right now perceived as the, the number two candidate in this race. Uh, but then, you know, I, I, I project ahead, Dana, and you look into Iowa or New Hampshire, if Trump only wins one of those early states by a smaller than expected margin, or if somebody else comes in, uh, is able to narrow that gap, they can turn a, a, they can lose and still flip that into a, a win because of just how it's being set up. So uh, the, the Trump team have done nothing to tamp down the expectations and they're just, they're, they've gone the other direction and just said, we're winning by so much we don't even need to debate. It's a strategy. We'll see if it if it works. And the final thing I'd say about these, these early states is they, they have a habit of breaking really late. And we're going to have Iowa's going to caucus in mid-January. New Hampshire's going to vote uh, eight days after that. And everything is going to look so much different in those eight days that it's really it's possible for someone to come in and just have wins, even if they're not actual wins in those first two states, and be off to the races. And this whole thing, the whole entire conventional wisdom could be out the window. I think that's a hard thing to remember, right? Because you're right. If you look back, uh, President Trump was at 1% in the polls at this point in August of 2015. And now he has built a commanding lead. He has a lasting and durable base that is going to stick with him, but then he does have these other challenges that we've um, talked about. On the debate prep, can you plan a viral moment or do you just have to be prepared and go for it? There's an immense amount of preparation that goes in these debates and these moments, they're made. They don't just happen. And every candidate right now, if they're worth their salt, is studying their opponent's strengths and weaknesses like an NFL player in the, in, a, in, a, in the tape room the week before uh, studying opposing defenses. And they, they should have their candidates or their opponents' lines fairly well memorized, and they should have uh, experience, They should have a, a plan as to what to say when someone says one thing and how to uh, blast through those arguments as well as have uh, defensive answers for the lines of attack that they, they should expect to get. So it's a ton of prep. It's a ton of work. And it's 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 like everything else in life. Practice makes perfect. And the ones the candidates who take it the most seriously and grind it out in those in those prep sessions are usually the ones who who, who do the best. Uh, and if if President Trump is not going to be in that stage, then uh, right now, Governor DeSantis is going to be the one who po it seems poised to take take more of the arrows. And uh, it's not a, a great spot for him to be in, given all the challenges he faces from his campaign from from other corners. But a real opportunity for him as well to try to knock it out of the park.
This is Perino on Politics. A look at what's ahead is next. And we're back with the third segment of Perino on Politics. Colin, what I want to think about is just projecting a little farther ahead and what to look for. Maybe even starting this with the Democrats. You know, are they really settled that Joe Biden will be the nominee? Like, do you buy any of this that maybe he's going to say, actually, you know what? Never mind. I'm going to step aside. Well, an unsustainable situation can't be sustained. And I, I, I just don't see this Biden candidacy uh, being able to withstand the rigors of the next 15, 16 months, let alone the ensuing four years after that. And so to me, it, it just it's, it's, it's strange credulity to think that uh, Joe Biden is going to be the next president. And by the way, uh, polling data supports that most most Americans and most a lot of Democrats share that opinion, too. But the other thing that's that's missing from this and it's not getting uh, attention is what's going to happen with their early state problem. Uh, Biden's got big issues with his name being being on the ballot in Iowa, New Hampshire, because of the DNC rules and because of his attempts to uh, uh, reshuffle the deck at the top of the, the the ticket. So it's it's you can't have the the sitting president of the party who's refusing to debate somehow losing contests in those early states. And, uh, it, you know, it's 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 not like it's not it's not going to be 2020 where his party can just say, well, we, we, we don't want Bernie Sanders to be the, the nominee. So we're all going to rush behind Biden. So, again, it, it's it, it's really difficult to see who that next person is going to be. Who's that next man or woman up who will be able to take the reins and carry the Democratic Party's banner in, into into battle? How do you know or how does it determined? I guess sometimes it might be obvious. How do you know who won a debate? Usually it is it is fairly clear. I mean, I, I look back at what, um, you know, what happened to Governor Perry, say, in, in 2011, uh, when he, we, he was unable to remember the uh, the third the third moment, the third agency he was trying to eliminate or what happened with Governor Christie uh, in 2016. And What's that, funny, it was the Department of Energy, which was the cabinet agency that he went on to lead. Yeah, it was. <laughs> twist, of, twist of irony there. Yes, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But no, usually it's pretty evident. I mean, I I feel like in the in in, in the days of past, there was there's there's a, a mad uh, a rush to have all your surrogates on TV saying you won and putting out all this paper behind the scenes and campaign operatives staying up until two in the morning, putting out those what they are saying documents and you know, I've I've made a living out of putting out those documents, so I shouldn't say they don't they don't move the needle. But I I <laughs> I, I, I think there's usually it's pretty clear. And uh, it's the candidate who, who is most true to themselves, who is comfortable in their own skin, who's able to deliver the punchlines on their opponent and not take on uh, any water themselves and, and speak not to the moderator, speak not to the people in the room, speak not to the people next to them, but speak to the people who are tuning in, the millions of people who are tuning in for the first time. Uh, I think the, the Fox promos for this debate are so appropriate, which is you only get one chance to make a first impression. And for so many of these candidates, that's coming on Wednesday night. And just, just, just ignoring the noise and talking to the person at home who's upset that groceries are expensive, who doesn't like how expensive back to school's gotten, who doesn't really like paying $85 to fill up their car. That's the fundamental thing at stake that if Republican were wise, they'd stake their candidacy around. Biden broke his promise. He said he was going to make everything normal again, and instead life has just gotten so difficult. Uh, flying, even the act of flying and com commercial airline has just become this unending headache. Everything's more expensive. We went through all these supply chain issues early in his presidency. And he, he and his team can say, well, that's not all my fault, and that's fine. 
but he said he was going to end all these problems and he didn't and just holding the the president accountable for that it's 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 a winning message to the person sitting at home all right last question before i give you a chance uh, at some easy trivia there was a op-ed by governor sununu somebody who I believe you know, and you know New Hampshire very well. He decided not to jump into the presidential race. He's obviously the governor of a very important early state in the presidential election contest. He is saying that this field should narrow quickly after this debate if a candidate is not gaining traction. Do you agree with that? And do you think any of them will do it? Well, I think Governor Sununu, and I know Senator Romney has made a similar argument in the past, are eager that those who ignore the mistakes of the past are doomed to repeat them, right? And I think in 2016, there was this idea that while Donald Trump was ahead, everybody else could sit around and, and wait for the field to implode, or wait for him to implode, I guess, and then pick up the pieces. And, and that didn't work then, and it doesn't really seem as though there's a, 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 a path for that now. And I think Governor Sununu is speaking to, to two important things that we've touched on. One, which is even if Donald Trump has leads in these polls now, he doesn't have a majority of voters. Uh, there's a majority who wants somebody else. And it's just a matter of if that majority is split up eight different ways or is, is, is more coalesced around one candidate. And two, is how late these states can break and how these voters will make up their mind, not now, uh, not even after the debate, although that'll start to inform the process but it'll be closer to the time when they actually go to vote. And Iowa and New Hampshire, these voters are really smart. They're really, they're used to this every four years. They take their time and they get to know these candidates. That's why these early states, these small states go first is because these, these, these electorate are small enough that the candidates have to actually earn people's votes. So I, I think that's a, a, an important point that you could see play out, uh, especially, and it could happen really fast. Uh, that's a thing that I think uh, the the left unsaid from that Governor Sununu op-ed is this could happen in, in a blink of an eye. It happened quickly for the Democrats in 2020. That's right. They saw Bernie Sanders looming. They didn't like the threat of that. They realized Joe Biden was the only viable alternative. And he just got he, he was embarrassed in, in Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And he went on to become the president. And it's a good it's a good uh, historical data point and a good place to for us to land. Thank you for joining me for this first one. I've loved it. I have a opportunity for you to take easy trivia question on you can choose one of these three presidential pets candidate LinkedIn or campaign slogan you know me we're going the pets pets okay number one President George H.W. Bush's family dog co-authored her self-titled book this presidential dog's name was A. Millie B. Major or C. Pluto a millie that's true and she was a great dog and i'll tell you something about millie millie gave birth to a litter of puppies during the george hw bush administration at the white house and one of those puppies was named spot spot was given to george w bush by his dad and mom and dad and so spot went to live in the governor's mansion in texas and she is the only dog to ever live in the White House twice because when George W. Bush won election, she came back and lived at the White House for a time before she um, went to the Rainbow Bridge. Amazing. And there you have it. Colin Reed, thank you so much. We appreciate you greatly. Thank you, Dana. Thank you for joining me on the debut episode of Perino on Politics, Colin. Really appreciate it. 
On Wednesday, August 23rd, in just two days, I'll sit down with Fox News Radio political analyst Josh Kroshar. That will be live from the First Republican primary debate for a bonus episode of the podcast. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. And listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.